Welcome to At The Whiteboard. I'm Nicole North and I'm your host. This season on At The Whiteboard, we're focusing on everything leadership, learning, and development. We have a ton of great guests ready to share their knowledge. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Welcome to At The Whiteboard. My name is Nicole North and I will be your host today. And I have the absolute thrill and pleasure of one of my favorite facilitators and honestly one of my favorite people and someone I really do consider a mentor to me in my career, uh, Susan Geary. Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much and what a lovely start. So um, I'm very excited today to be talking to you about wellness, a great passion of mine. And so I think we're having a backwards and forwards. Do you have any questions you'd like to ask me? I sure do. Let's start first, have people um, understand a little bit more about you. Susan, tell us about you and, and what you do. Okay. So, um, so uh, you know, my name's Susan Geary. And, you know, I was just thinking about what I'm passionate about. And I think I'm passionate about helping uh, people learn. And, and my area of competency is management, leadership, any form of communication and wellness. And I think wellness has always been a passion for me um, because some, 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 some of it is about the trauma of my family of origin. Some of it has been that we had a, a major trauma in our immediate family a few years ago. So I, I really do focus on really do think wellness is important. And so, and through the years, uh, I started teaching what, what is now wellness, um, uh, probably in the late 80s as stress management. Then I've taught it as uh, work-life balance. Then the term resilience came in. And now, now actually the terms are wellness and resilience. And I am just uh, becoming the best expert that I can on that. And I've been teaching over the last two or three years, actually some wellness workshops for the Ontario Public Service, and now teaching them actually to a broad grouping of different organizations. So this is just a passion for me. It's so wonderful. And, and Susan and I met, I'll tell the funny story uh, because it's a good one. Uh, I was facilitating a brand new course that I had never taught before. And Susan was in the class watching. And of course, I, uh, in a classic Nicole fashion, uh, got into some great, great discussions and went quite significantly over in the timing on a particular exercise. And Susan was so gracious and lovely as I was a little bit panicked about it. Uh, Susan made it so comfortable to be watched. You know, it's never easy to be watched by someone else in your own um, career, you know, a fellow facilitator. It's a little nerve wracking. And uh, since that moment, uh, Susan and I have become great friends and I'm so excited to be working with her and uh, on this podcast today. And I'm excited about wellness because it's been a passion of mine from the culture perspective and how leaders develop cultures that promote wellness and well-being, you know, and having having been back, you know, I've, I've been an entrepreneur for about nine years now, but I was back in corporate for a little while and I certainly started to feel the effects of that burnout and what that can do when you're kind of operating on a different schedule. When you're an entrepreneur, you have full control of 
of when you rest. And in a corporate entity, it's a little bit different. So I'd love to be able to explore that with you. And maybe you can help us. I mean, you talked a little bit about wellness also being known as stress management and work-life balance. Um, how would you define wellness? Yeah. And by the way, I do want to add, when I sat in on that workshop many years ago, I just thought, how what a fabulous facilitator you were. So that's what stayed with me. <laughs> and so just wanted to say that. So, um, so I actually go with the World Health Organization in that they define it as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. And so it's about really creating balance in your life by kind of balancing different factors. And the factors that I've chosen are physical, social, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, and work. And I would say, just to add something there, all those years ago when I taught stress management, we've evolved a lot as well. It's not just the words that have evolved. I think we've learned a lot about how to help uh, people people maintain their wellness. So this is nothing what we teach what we're looking at now is nothing like it was in the late 80s, but it's just it's been interesting to see that evolution through the uh, the decades really. And I guess I should say that resilience is, according to the American Psychological Association, the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, or significant sources of stress. So they're connected for sure. So that's all I wanted to say. So uh, anything else you want to add? Well, I, I would love to, you know, Susan, help us understand what's, what's the difference between stress management as you taught it then and wellness now? Uh, yeah, well, that's an interesting point. I mean, we had just um, got the work of Hans Selye, so we were very aware that stress really can lead to illness in the future. But the funny thing was that I, I was teaching a bunch of bank managers and they were sort of thinking meditation, um, mindfulness. Are you nuts? Because then it was only thought to be something that um, kind of weird people did. And I remember hippie, saying, hippie, uh, hippie stuff, hippie, hippie stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I think we were much more limited in how we could help people. So I think one of the things, and so I spent a lot of time on nutrition. Um, I think the thing that's really evolved over all those years, I think, you know, wellness is now, uh, sorry, um, mindfulness is now mainstream. Everybody's uh, has some form of mindfulness, which is fantastic. And we've learned lots of things about uh exercise and um, uh, the, how important it is to be connected to people. So I think we've come a long way in our learning in our and our research since since those days. So interesting. I love that idea that what we were teaching then was kind of the, the, the topics that are now mainstream. Yeah. So now this this whole topic has evolved into something different. I mean, I even like to say there are uh, communication things like setting boundaries and having you know difficult conversations with your leaders or your employees about setting boundaries that now come into play in this so I'm, I'm excited to explore that further um what does a what does a wellness based so you know again I'm so hooked on culture 
and how organizations promote great culture. So how would you say an organizational culture that is rooted in wellness kind of looks like, sounds like, and feels like? Well, and I thought that was such a great question that I, you know, I've given some thought to. And I think, you know, what we know about culture is that it's, it is actually difficult to shift a culture. So if an organization is going to focus on culture, they really have to do, uh, sorry, on wellness, they really have to do uh, a lot of work. But one of the things it is, I think, is fostering a workplace that encourages and promotes the well-being of each person. Um, so that's a lot that an organization can do culturally there. But I think it also means helping people create healthy habits in both their personal and professional life. Um, I think one of the major things that is not happening right now is that on average, people are working two to three hours more every day. And I don't think organizations have as yet looked at the overload that people have been into throughout COVID. So I hope that's one thing that will change as we come out of COVID, that these huge workloads that people have will be looked at and, and decreased. Otherwise, we'll, I think we'll have huge burnout in organizations. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and what are some of the ways that organizations are, are failing their employees with wellness? What, what could organizations be doing differently? Okay, well, I think some organizations haven't even thought about it. And um, I think other organizations are giving lip service to it, but as you pointed out, not making it part of their culture. And, you know, there's various lip services to it, I think, in terms of setting up a wellness committee that does a, a nice thing every month um, or giving flu shots within the organization and not really getting at some of the root causes, like, you know, reducing the amount of work that uh, people are doing. Um, and so interestingly enough, just recently, the Harvard Business Review um, did a whole series on burnout in organizations. And they, I think they went across several countries and said, you know, how are you doing right now? And they found that there was an 85% decrease in general well-being um, and workplace uh, well-being had declined by up to 89%. So I think organizations have got to take this more seriously. And I think for you and I go into a lot of different organizations. And I think organizations are stressed right now from the top to the middle to, to the employees. And I don't think they've had time to look at this yet, but I think they have to start thinking about it. It's so interesting. You know, we, <clears throat> for so long, people wanted to work from home because <laughs> it would give them more flexibility. It would be more comfortable. It would be more relaxing. And here we are in this situation where we're all working from home and it, it doesn't feel that way. I I know. And so what's interesting, you know, in my reading is that actually when you went to work, you usually had to travel um, and however you traveled could be a little bit of a break preparing you for the day. 
And then as you uh, travel back home again, it provided a nice break between the end of work and the beginning of leisure time. And of course, what's happening now is that that beginning and end has disappeared. So uh, I think people are having something to eat and working in the evenings. Um, so I, I think work-life balance is a real problem for many people right now. So interesting. I, I wrote an article actually called Reclaim Your Commute. You know, uh, yes. pretend that you are still commuting. <clears throat> and at, excuse me, you know, at 8.15, uh, I come downstairs. Actually, my husband and I just started this last week. Uh, we come down about 15 minutes uh, early and we do a quick little exercise video together, an ab workout or whatever. And it's this break between when we leave the children and when we descend into our our work caves here in the basement <laughs> um, sit in front of the video all day but you know that has been a really great way and we do the same thing at the end of the day um at five o'clock we we re uh, connect and we try and leave the house without my toddler seeing us so she that she doesn't cry and demand to come with us and we go for about a 45 minute walk and we just chat about our day and to us we can now come back into the home life not being still burdened by what's going on at the office or what's happening in the in the cave um, and I think that has been such an amazing habit to build is this idea of reclaiming our commute and taking that uh, time before work starts and after work and it, it takes a lot of effort because it's not um, it's not so urgent as I need to get on the TTC because it's going to take me an hour to get home or the subway or the go train or the bus um, but you have to make it's more difficult because you actually have to stop and create a fake, a fake break. You know, absolutely. And so what pleases for me is you as my friend is that you're constantly working on your wellness, which is such a smart thing, especially as you have toddlers and you want to give your best to them, you know, once you finish work. And I'm sure this enables you to, to play and roughhouse and, uh, you know, to have that time for your children. I think my worry is that lots of people are just working, 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 almost not giving themselves a right to focus on their own wellness. And, and those are the people that and I worry about. And I think especially, well, I think life has been hard on the first responders who are out in the workforce. And I think it's also been hard for those people who are working at home with, with young kids like you have. Um, kids of school age, um, trying to get them to, um, you know, to, 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 to work. And I remember I was teaching one organization where the lady started by saying, my little one started kindergarten today and um, he'll be in every 15 minutes because he's watching, uh, he's online next door. And that's exactly what happened every 15 minutes. This, I think he, four or five, I'm not sure. Say, mom, what am I doing? And gosh, that is so tiring for somebody to keep all those balls in the air so I think there's a lot of people who just don't feel they've had the time to focus on their wellness and it's it's those people I'm worried about yeah it really it really does take um extra effort extra care again we're very privileged that we have a caregiver in our house that you know gives us that ability to take that um you know 15 20 30 minutes before and after work to do that and, you know that certainly is um, something that we're very lucky to have, you know, and, and it's very interesting as I watched um, 
my husband got, you know, I was just about ready to get give birth when uh, the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting to watch the transition of uh, employees. I mean, I've always worked from home as probably you have too, you know, we're independent Mm -hmm. contractors, we mostly work at home. So working at home wasn't a real challenge uh, or change for us. I would say the big change for me was just much many more video calls that would have previously been just a regular phone call. Um, and But watching my husband kind of transition and watching their hours extend, right? First, it was yep. things started being due at 8 a.m. Then things started getting being due at 6 p.m., 6.30 p.m. Um, he really noticed, especially in his younger team members um, who may not have had uh, children at home, really starting to see them work later and later and later into the night. Um, And, you know, I believe it was Harvard Business Review. I believe it was in that same set of articles about burnout that you referenced where they said, you know, the average workday is three hours longer now Mm -hmm. uh, because we basically tacked on that commute time to our on, you know, on screen time. Mm -hmm. And and we know, first of all, um, the burnout potential of having too many Zoom meetings. (laughs) So that that is definitely is is one issue and I I I think there's been no pushback along these long hours and we know that people can't sustain this so I think an organization really has to look this can't be the new normal <laughs> that that's what my worry is that okay people have been wearing two or three working two to three hours longer that's the new normal well it can't be because we will have uh, burnout and uh and I think you've been, uh, well, and I think I've really tried to focus on my wellness as well. And I think there is, there are different personalities that come into this as well. And I think sometimes those in the helping uh, role, who, where that's a big motivator for them, don't think of themselves. They just try to help other people, whether it's who they work with, their children, and that's a sure sign for burnout. So I guess one of the things that I, I wanted to say in this uh, podcast was I think everybody has to make themselves a priority and think, okay, how can I, we don't know how long this is going to continue to go on. Hopefully we'll get some kind of relief um, and hopefully people will start thinking, okay, I've been you know, pushed to the limits here in so many different ways. Now, what I, I need to focus on myself first, because if I don't help myself, I'm not going to be able to help anybody else. And, you know, what does wellness mean to me? And I think that's just one other point I want to say. Wellness is a unique and individual journey. So what helps one person uh, feel well is not necessarily going to be what helps another person. So it is a very unique journey. Oh, that's such a wonderful point. It never really occurred to me. Uh, that, you know, for me, for example, my, my, my wellness is exercise. That's what makes me feel better, gives me energy. And particularly, I discovered that um, nothing could make me feel better and de-stress me more than outside exercise. That seemed to be a dramatic um, improvement from just anything I could do inside. That actually being outside, even in the depths of winter, going for even a 10 minute walk was the most rejuvenating thing for me. So that's an interesting point in that, you know, 
some people might respond really well to meditation. Some people might respond really well to journaling or to-do lists. I know that is a, a huge contributor to my wellness is my ability to stay organized and keep a, a good to-do list that, uh, you know, and some people think, oh, a to-do list makes you more stressed out. No, a to-do list makes me very confident that I haven't forgotten anything because forgetting and being too overloaded and, and missing something is a huge stressor for me. Um, so I love this idea of a personalized journey that you've got to make time and effort to test and trial uh, what works for you and how to make it part of your day. And the second point I wanted to make is that it is actually takes effort to try to make it part of your day. It, you know, it's, um, I've been talking about this a lot that in this entire virtual world, a lot of the activities that we're doing now require a lot of, gosh, what do I, I don't want to call it motivation, but this idea of you actually, for example, I am always talking to people about making camera contact. You can't look at people's boxes on Zoom. You actually have to make eye contact with the camera if you want to be as engaging as possible. And that doesn't come naturally. You have to physically attempt to do it, right? And that just that effort of trying, which is the same thing for me reclaiming my commute. I have to, every single day, it's not just like, oh, here I go to get on the bus to go to work. It's, I know that I could stay here and keep uh, making another set of breakfasts for the kids and, and doing this, that, or the other to get ready. But what I need to do is have that walk or have that clarity and break between my, my regular day and my work day? Well, I, 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 a few things that I'd like to respond to is, is one, I have a very dear friend who gets completely, is a very organized person. As, sure, as soon as she gets disorganized, she's just so stressed out. And so I'll say, okay, sit down for a half day and reorganize yourself, you'll be fine. And she is, so, so that's kind of uh, acute too. And I really like your point about practice. I have been attempting to meditate for 20 years and <laughs> um, I have never, until now, I have to say, been able to make it part of my practice. And I, um, I am now something called a heart math facilitator. And in order to be a heart math facilitator, I had to practice every day for three months. And I think because I probably just decided I'm a little bit ADHD, it's taken quite a while to think, oh, maybe I am. You know, I like to jump from things to things and I like variety in my life. But these were shorter periods of meditation, like five minutes. Well, I found I can handle five minutes. And so not only so practice, I was so glad that in order to, you know, get my certification, I had to practice every single day for three months because now it's, you know, it's actually changed something in my brain, a new neural connection. And um, so it's the practice, it's the commitment to doing something, but then it's the practice and commitment to, to do it as often as you need to. So you make such a good point there. That's wonderful. And that's actually uh, part of the new uh, science of change management is uh, they're talking about how, you know, and I think a diet is probably a great example. Um, 
there is no perfect diet or exercise regimen uh, that will work for anyone. And people jump from different diets and exercise regimens, hoping that they'll uh, finally get it to stick. And in reality, it is the one that you will do. And that is the right one for you. I think that was, you know, having someone I've, I've always struggled with my weight. And, you know, I sometimes I get so confused, you know, should I be eating less carbs? Should I be eating more fat? Um, should I be doing more cardio or more strength work? And, you know, and you get all these different messages that you don't quite know what to do. And at the end of the day, it's about creating the habits that work for you and that you'll actually do. And the ones that make sense that actually change the behaviors for you are the best ones for you. So it's not that, you know, keto or uh, low carb or Weight Watchers is the best for me. It's the one that actually works with my brain and the one that I'm able to actually do really well. So I love that point about this individual personalized journey to wellness. And it's okay if you don't like meditating because you could, you might get the same benefit or results from something like a walk in the forest. And so true. And I have a, another work associate who has always struggled um, with her weight uh, as well and, <laughs> and f followed many diets. But finally, she found one that fit into her temperament. And now it's working for her. And it doesn't matter if it's different from anybody else. It just has to work for you. And when I think about, you know, I have long tried to do go to a gym and do exercise. It just doesn't work for me. I, I don't know why, but it doesn't. But like you, walking in nature just gets rid of my stress. So again, um, like you, um, uh, we take a walk every single day in, if possible, in nature. And I know everybody doesn't have access to nature, but um, just getting out sometimes or just walking to a park or whatever is close to you, that really works for me. And it may not work for other people. I know other people really do well by going to a gym and following a series of, of, of different uh, workout maneuvers. It's finding out what works for you is the really important thing. Yeah, I, I think that's such great advice. Now, how, how are organizations inspiring wellness or, or what do you recommend to organizations who want to inspire wellness in terms of activities? Yeah, um, you know, I did, um, I, uh, from that same article that I think I sent you, I thought it was really um interesting to see that there was a, an article written on the Boston's biggest hospital. And I, I thought there were some really good things here. But I think it has to be more than just, um, although I love doing workshops and wellness, it needs to be more than that. Even though it's a personal journey, I think the culture needs to shift as well. And um, so I just want to make that point. And so they, of course, have been fighting COVID. And I think they've done as well as they can through that period of time. They, they really focused on helping people feel that their work is fulfilling. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but if and when I lose my sense of purpose, I kind of feel lost. And I mean, so you know, part of the work we do is recreating, finding a new sense of purpose. So I could really relate to that, that helping 
I mean, people who worked in hospitals so it must be so exhausted and so worn down. But if you really feel you're making a difference and people who your manager, your co-workers feel um, that you're making a difference, that is fantastic. So that was the first thing I wanted to do, say. Um, the other thing is apparently about or they gave people choice um, in whatever they way, way they could so that people felt autonomy. I think what's been hard through this time is sometimes people have felt they have no choice. They have to keep going at the grind of doing whatever they have to. But choice is a thing that energizes people. I certainly think reasonable workloads, and they did work that out in this hospital, even though, of course, they were overwhelmed at times. Um, so making sure that people are not pushing themselves to the edge of burnout, I think is really important. Um, the other thing I think is really important, not coming out of that article, but elsewhere, is training your every level of leadership within the organization to show empathy to people who are stressed, burned out, feeling anxiety or depressed, that um, the research shows that if you are empathetic, actually, um, people bounce back more. So I think we could, I know you and I do a lot of management and leadership training, but I think we've got to help managers rather than sweep it under the carpet, really, you know, have those conversations with their people when they see them getting burnt out or when somebody comes to you to have empathy for whatever your situation is. And, and then, of course, help you problem solve so that you can think of ways of getting out of it. The other thing that I thought was um, good about this, um, uh, what they did at this Boston's biggest hospital, is they made sure people had a sense of community. Uh, you know, we're in this together and we can chit chat and chat talk. And I think that's what's been taken away from a lot of people through this COVID period, especially is being able to go into the office next to you and say, hi, how are you? What's going? You know, those kind of conversations that have or having, you know, get togethers as a uh, office party of some kind, a shower of, of some kind. And I think through COVID still, I think managers really have to work at this, helping their people feel connected. But I think ultimately overlaying all of that is uh, the organization looking at how can we create a culture of wellness. And, and, um, and that is, you know, I think that's got to push their agendas more than it does right now, because if not, we're going to have a lot of burnout, burnt out people. So what do you think about that? I, I like that. I'm going to I'm going to summarize them. So uh First is uh, allowing people to be grounded in in vision and purpose, yep. and so I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can make this connection that at the ultimate that wellness has to come you know from all levels of the organization, but truly can be uh, rooted in in leadership. So riddle me this. So you said grounded in vision and purpose. So if leaders are uh, trained and well-versed in helping people uh, recognize uh, and have a clear vision of what their branch, unit, sector, organization, uh, area is doing and why they are doing it and for whom they are doing it 
and that entire kind of mission, vision, values piece is clear, um, people are more likely to remain well when they really are grounded in the vision of the work that they are doing. The second is having choice and autonomy. So again, if I link this back to leadership skills, one of the biggest things that I am focusing right now um, as I develop my Limitless Leadership Program is creating empowerment. So leaders being able to um, create teams that can defy all odds and feel limitless. And that is really connected to uh, them being autonomous and being able to act and take risks and work on things that uh, lift them up. It doesn't mean that they don't get to work on things that they dislike, like expense claims and you know financial reconciliation, but they also have an opportunity to shine and that they are given a space and a place to shine and, and be their best selves. And then the third thing you said is reasonable workloads. And I think this also speaks to a leadership skill and an, and an individual skill about learning how to communicate effectively our boundaries and our um, issues and challenges and saying my workload is not sustainable for me. What can we do, right? And I think there is a, there are, you know, in, in a lot of the sessions I've facilitated, I have individual contributors saying, I don't know how to set boundaries with my manager. I don't know how to tell them that I can't be taking calls or responding to emails at 7, 8, 9, 10 p.m because that's when they're sending me emails. So, um, and I think again, I, I've always thought that if leaders could um, role model the behaviors and role model things like, hey guys, I turn off all my uh, computers and phones at 6 p.m. If you need to reach me urgently, here's how, but I take this time for my personal time. So when leaders can express the clarity of those boundaries and the, you know, where they are setting their work limits, that helps enable their, uh, their teams to do the same thing. And then for emotional intelligence and mm -hmm. empathy, I love this one, Susan, and I agree, this is also a highly requested content right now, is um, being open and, and learning how to hear feelings and uncomfortable things learning how to validate them and make people feel heard, you know, with that, uh, I always use that Lester model of, you know, listen, echo, uh, sympathize or empathize, uh, thank, uh, evaluate and resolve. But this idea of how do we hear difficult conversations and how can we effectively provide empathy and emotional intelligence to our teams? Um, and then five, I love the idea of creating community. And this is something I've also been super passionate about during the pandemic. Don't just jump into meetings. Have just a hot second, a hot second to create community and familiarity. Um, one of my favorite, another one of my favorite kind of facilitator mentors, Sai Charney, has, when he facilitates, he has people bring one item from their home that is of great value to them. 
It could be a photo, a piece of jewelry, um, a piece of clothing, a stuffed animal, whatever it might be. But he has them bring that in at the beginning of one of their sessions and kind of share a little bit about why it's important to them. And I think that's so wonderful right now as we're as humans, we're not designed to be isolated like this. And so this I and I think it's one of the little one of the few benefits of, of working from home and, and doing all these video calls is you get this little glimpse into someone's home and you can see their bookshelf and what books they have on it and and what photograph do they have you know sitting on their desk of their family and I think that's so lovely so I love those uh, five big ideas and I think they're so linked to leadership and I, I, I totally agree with you that leadership at every so it's a tough thing because the leaders are burnt out as well <laughs> but we know that um if you're an employee you're worried about sort of saying to your manager um well i i don't want calls at nine o'clock or eight thirty because it's going to be possibly um career limiting so you don't say it so i think it does have to come from the old levels of leadership um to to role model um, that, that, that they're not working from eight in the morning till 10 at night because it, it's not healthy for, for anybody to do those kinds of hours. And, uh, you know, and, and especially people who feel no choice, they, they, they want to hang on to their job. Um, it's, it, it's really not healthy for people. So, no, and I love what you said. Your summary was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you provided great content. I'm just a really good summarizer. <laughs> a very good summarizer. I don't, I would, yeah, much better than, than, than I said it. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. That, that was good. Um, <laughs> you know, and I just, I just want to, you know, some people are going to push back and, and say, well, we have time sensitive things. So sometimes people have to work in the evening and sometimes people have to work over the weekend and I get that and it's okay. And we need to be sure that we are mindful of that. And I know I, I listen, it's quite wonderful to have watched my, my husband, you know, because mm -hmm. I now get to hear him at work every day uh, mm -hmm. to listen as he's gone I kind of watched him go from uh, being an individual contributor to a manager and now a director. Um, and it's so wonderful to hear how he'll say something like, I appreciate you so much for working on this um, late in the evening. You know, please feel free to take it easy tomorrow, tomorrow morning. Join us after, you know, the 10 a.m. call, but have a sleep in or, you know, something like that, which I think is just such a wonderful way to acknowledge the work and also say, yes, that's a special occurrence. And, and I, I want you to make sure that you can rest and recover from that. And so I think in some organizations, what they do is reward all of this late night working and over weekend working and, you know, applaud it and laud it and recognize it in front of everyone and just carry on. And I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, I hear him doing is, is, say, is making sure that people have the time to recover from that and not just lauding them for the, the late night, but also you know, giving them the, the reward of, of, of rest, not just of more work. Well, what a wise person he is, because um, he, he I think we all know that every job has some work in the evenings because there are peaks and valleys in terms of the week. But that should not be every day. And I think we know that um, 
rewarding work well done is a very important thing. We, we want to be acknowledged for the work that we do. And as you and I know, doing a lot, lot of management leadership training, it's not used as much as it should be. And I always think, gosh, that's a shame because that's an easy win for managers. You know, recognize people doing something right. Re, you know, re, tell them they're doing a good job. And that employee will feel more uh, revitalized. And so many people don't take advantage of that. But I also like the fact that if you if your uh, husband has got somebody working, as we all do sometimes have to do till 10 o'clock at night, he recognizes that that person needs to uh, rest and regenerate and he's giving that time. No, that's a very wise thing to do. Mm. And so what, Susan, what are some of the organizational benefits to promoting wellness? So, you know, yes, this is all fine and dandy, but like, you know, I'm thinking of those hard-lined budget finance people, you know, show me the money, Susan. What's the, what's the benefit to doing all this training that you're suggesting? Well, I was so happy that you asked me that question because it enables me to think about it in advance. So, okay, happier people work harder. So a 2015 study found that happy employees are more productive than unhappy employees and that uh, happy employees are 12 to 20% more productive. Also, if people are valued and feel that they do good work, they are less likely to leave the organization. So that's a really good thing if you can retain good people. And uh, the, the third point I wanted to make is that um, if you focus on wellness, your people are going to be healthier and both physically and psychologically. And, you know, let's let's look at what happens when we don't get any support from the organization around that. Um, we take psychological sick days and we are actually sick more. So, you know, my thought and I, I didn't have enough time to find some research on that a research study, but I bet you I could if I had more time is that you're going to have people going to take less sick days. So I think there's so many benefits to really caring about the people that work for you, because in the end, that wellness is is creating an environment where people can be well, but also so, supporting them in their wellness journey. So, no, I think lots of benefits for an organization. I love that. I love the data to support that this work is it's not just it's not just wellness work for wellness sake. It's, you know, it's also backed by data and it's backed by results. And I think sometimes people forget that well and happy and cared for and uh, grounded employees can perform more quickly, uh, more rapidly, uh, have higher quality work than when they are, you know, just exhausted and demoralized. So I love it. Susan, before we close off, I have two other questions. The first one is what are some quick tips that people can incorporate right now to impact their wellness? And you know, it's funny, I've gone away from say, well, saying things like, you know, meditate every day for an hour. I couldn't do that myself. So I probably would never have said that, but that's more what the research said in many ways. So I, I have some quick tips. I think any form of exercise helps. They say that, you know, exercise can take, um, can have the same effects as an antidepressant uh, tablet. So 
anything you do. And I've just been so interested to see how people have adapted. You and I are very lucky in the main, we can go out into a garden, get out into nature. I've had friends and associates who um, walk a mile around their apartment. Um, I have other friends who are, as it sounds like you are, watching um, um, an exercise program on TV. I think any way that you can get a little bit of exercise into your day is really helpful. And um, I, when I, I believe that even five more minutes of exercise each day can have a positive impact. And I think everybody can put five minutes into their day. So that's one thing um, I, I wanted to uh, talk about. The other one, now that I finally got it right for myself, is some form of relaxation activity. And I think, you know, now I'm saying I, I sort of um, morning and evening, I do 10 minutes of watching my breathe, five minutes, actually five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening of watching my breathing active, my breathing. I know I'll get distracted, but knowing that's part of the process to come back to my breathing. And I really have found really significant changes. So I think anything you can do, some people just uh, sit in a chair and relax all their muscles. And there's all kinds of things that you can do because I think we're all so frenetic right now that we're forgetting we really need to relax. And I think the last thing, and I, 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 I know you're a really extrovert person, and actually I, I will throw, I'm going to say what it is, and then I'm going to ask you how you've managed this, is I think our connections are crucial, that we stay connected with our, our loved ones, our family members, and our friends. And I, I'd be interested to know, because I've actually had a, made a conscious effort to do that. What have you done that's helped you around that? Ah, that's a good one. And I, because I have to say, I don't, it's so interesting. I'm, I have a great set of girlfriends and, you know, we have a text message chat that we're constantly in text message chat. Um, and I don't know if it's because I've got little ones and our schedules are so different. Um, I find, you know, the Zoom catch up, it doesn't, it doesn't give me the, the feelings I want. And maybe because I'm also on Zoom all week, by the time it gets to the weekend, that doesn't give me uh, life. Um, so, you know, having old fashioned phone calls for me, um, mm -hmm. we do kind of a, you know, a random phone call. It's not planned. It's not scheduled. You just sometimes phone someone. And it's been a joke around my friends. You're either calling just to chat or something's really wrong. Uh, so someone <laughs> will always pick up. And so, you just go, don't worry, nothing's an emergency. It's just a friendly chat. And I think that has been very uh, rejuvenating um, for me. And, and I love this piece, you know, and I, I want to touch on this piece of exercise one of the things that I've been working with companies to do is can they embed their wellness with their training and other things like encourage people to turn the video off and go for a walk. Yep. Leaders, have your one-on-one -on -one meetings and tell people, grab your phone, grab your earphones, walk out of the house, uh, jump on your treadmill if you need to. I want you to be refreshed and rejuvenated. And I think those are some amazing, amazing tips. Susan, it has been so wonderful. I love everything that you've presented today. And I'm so thrilled 
uh, that you were able to join us. Can you tell us where people can find you so that they can experience your absolutely lovely, warm and engaging training? Well, um, so yes. Yeah. So as I said, I am doing a lot of wellness uh, activities, uh, workshops right now. And as I said, it is something that I'm really passionate about. So I can be reached at telephone number 416-237-1478. My email is susan at susan g-e-a-r-y associates with an s dot com and um you can also look me up on my website susangeariassociates.com so it'll be and you're on linkedin as well is that correct yes i'm on linkedin as well i forgot that yes so thank you for reminding uh, me around that and i i really am passionate about helping individuals everywhere and within organizations focus on their own wellness because I think both you and I care about healthy organizations and healthy people that work within that and COVID has we have it's been a very stressful time for anybody and I think we really need to refocus on our own wellness. Agreed, agreed. Thank you so much for joining us Susan. Well, thank you for such asking such good questions and uh, um, for our give and take. Actually, I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thanks for joining us at At The Whiteboard. We've had an amazing time with you here today. If you wanna keep up to date with everything that At The Whiteboard podcast is doing, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Whiteboard Consult or on our website at www.whiteboardconsulting.ca. Talk soon.